0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, September 4th. I am arts and culture writer Alicia Ramirez
1: and I am arts and culture writer Ashley Steves.
0: So Ashley, let's get into the news today because we have lots to cover. Before we do so, head over to our Patreon at patreoncom Radio or broadwayradio.com/patreon to back us if you haven't already. First off, Atlantis Alliance Theater has announced that its upcoming drive-in production of A Christmas Carol, colon, the live radio play, is in the process of being approved by Actors' Equity Association. Approval depends on the virus being under control in the area. It's worth noting that an article came out earlier today saying that these plans were finalized in Sunday yeah. from Actors' Actors Equity tweeted, "No, no, no." I know. I saw yeah. that
1: <laughs> right before we started recording. It seemed like there was a bit of confusion. I don't know. This is the thing. I looking at that tweet because it was essentially, I think it was a Broadway World article, and they had tweeted the news about it. And then, as you said, Actors Equity came and said, "No, that's not actually right. This is pending." Uh, the virus being controlled in the area. So I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if Alliance knows that. I feel like they would have to know that, but who knows? We don't know. One, one right. can only hope. But continuing with this, the
0: proposed safety protocols include virtual rehearsals, self-evaluations for anyone working in person, routine testing for actors, stage managers, and anyone in contact with the cast. Also using covered outdoor stage with socially distant blockings and separate actor stations, deep cleaning of backstage, props, equipment, and also having a COVID safety coordinator for the duration of the production to administer and support protocols. Audiences will be able to listen to the performance through their car radio or their cell phone. And there will also be contactless ticketing, and masks will be required for everyone who is not inside a
1: car. This is interesting. Uh, again, as I said, I... I mean, even looking at the article, I'm not 100% sure if everyone is on the same page here as far as the approval process. But I think I saw somewhere that there have been... Six productions or five or six productions that have been approved mm-hmm. by equity now. And I'm going to have to go through the list to see. And I would, I already talked with Alan Filderman for Godspell, but I would be really interested in talking with like anyone <laughs> leading these productions because from that conversation that I had, there's obviously so, so much that goes into this process. So I can understand if people are on different pages about everything because you essentially have to here's my idea for something okay is it approved or or denied move on to the next thing move Mm -hmm. on to the next thing move on to the next thing so uh, you know this seems like it would be an easier thing to be approved than something like Godspell, where everyone is sitting outside in actual seats under a tent, as opposed to people being in vehicles on car radios. <laughs> but oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really, I would really be interested in learning about the approval process for something like this specifically.
0: Yeah, me too, because also I I'm thinking about Diana that's gonna be filmed for Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at this article and they say that the protocols approved by Actors Equity also include HVAC changes to ensure proper ventilation backstage. Yeah. yeah. Apart from isolation and, and testing, so
1: Yeah, that's, that's a lot of, especially what we heard in the early days about, I mean, backstage conditions aren't, (laughs) aren't great Uh to begin with in normal conditions. Uh, And they, I mean, a lot of conditions working in theaters need a major overhaul, overhaul anyway, regardless of an international health pandemic. So that's going to be a huge thing, especially, you know, actors are going to have to move there's gonna to have to be like a lot of one ways going around backstage like you enter one way and exit a different way just everything else that you don't really think about until we get into something yes. like this
0: oh yeah definitely i i think we need an entire episode devoted to regulations and what has been approved
1: and what hasn't been oh approved, so yeah that can be on the oh, same page yeah i think everyone needs to tune into that because i'm still not entirely sure either
0: Yeah, me either. Well, next up, playwrights Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, Lynn Nottage, and Marco Ramirez had been selected to create new works that will debut at Broadway's Vivian Beaumont Theater. This opportunity comes from Lincoln Center's newly announced Beaumont New Play Commission program. And here I have the statement from Lincoln Center's Andre Bishop that says, and I quote, I believe that we are in a golden age of American playwriting and Brandon, Lynn, and Monko are three of the finest writers at work today. We can think of no better way to inaugurate this program than to engage these three artists to use their imagination, creativity, and passion to create new works for the Beaumont stage. I have to say, Ashley, Lincoln Center has gone all out with good news this
1: week I know I was thinking that because this comes right off the hiring of their new resident director Liliana Blaine Cruz who of course is amazing and there's I I know you were on the show with Matt when you talked about it the other day so I'm definitely curious to hear more about what you think about this new works move but as far as in my opinion obviously this is great and my big hope for Blaine Cruz coming in is especially that we'd see a lot more more, well, first of all, new works that make it to the Beaumont stage, but also (laughs) a little bit more interesting and diverse, to put it lightly. So this is already very exciting. Yeah, I
0: I totally agree. I I think Lincoln Center is going in the right direction, and Mm -hmm. I can only hope that other theaters can follow suit. And one thing I'm really curious is the timeline of this program. When are these shows going to debut? This will all take place once it's safe to be on on Broadway. But I'm curious to know more about the timeline because I know Flying Over Sunset is supposed to be at the Beaumont right, right. right now. Right, and so, so who
1: knows? Right, exactly. That's yeah. That flying over sunset will uh, be the first thing back when the Beaumont Theater gets back up and running. When theater as a whole gets back up and running, and I pretty sure that was an open run, but that makes sense. I mean, that's going to yeah. come, and then, you know, things still have to be, uh, you know, uh, any of these works have to be written and developed and go through the whole process of putting a show on in the first place and getting creative teams and everything. So they've got plenty of time. <laughs> uh, God knows uh, Lynn Nottage and Brandon Jacob Jenkins and Marco Ramirez are busy enough, so uh, oh, yeah. especially, I mean, Lynn Nottage already yeah, had another yeah. piece that was going on at Lincoln Center in intimate apparel which was just about to start at the New House Theater at LCT so she especially is very very busy so i'm sure the, the there will already be a very big gap in between when uh between this news and when shows these shows start Ending up on an actual stage, but we have an undisclosed amount of time until shows end up back on the stage anyway.
0: Yeah, of course. not I, I can't forget um, Lynn Nottage's upcoming second stage oh, yeah. show. So Yeah. So now you got two plus whatever she ends up doing.
1: All of it. At the Beaumont. Appar- apparently so. everything ever. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well done, Lynn Nottage.
0: Yep. So, Ashley, I want to cover some news on two upcoming virtual seasons in the U.S. First, the National Black Theater, which celebrated its 51st anniversary in July, is starting its Fall 2020 program on September 18th. Among the four works being presented are Inter-Stellar by Ebony Noel Green, And Love is the Message, Joy is the Revival by National Black Theater Artistic Director Jonathan McCrory. And they're also doing something really fun. And to give you some context, in 1991, founder Dr. Barbara Ann Teer wrote a letter that she called Letter to the Future where she wrote What She hoped for Black People in the year 2000. And this letter is incredibly timely and urgent. Oh, so, wow. The National Black Theater is encouraging members of their community to write their own letters to feature and put them inside a time capsule. And if you want to write your own letter, you have until December 31st. And second, the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago has revealed plans for a digital season set to start in November. The season will include work by Rajiv Joseph, Vivian J.O. Barnes, Isaac Gomez, Donetta Lavinia Grace, James Imes, and Sam Shepard. The season will feature performances from Randall, Arnie, Ian Bradford, Carrie Coon, Love Carrie Coon. Francis, Audrey Francis K. Todd Freeman John Michael Hill Sandra Marcus William Peterson, Karen Rodriguez and more it's also worth noting that the premiere of Matt Charman's Good Night and Good Luck has been postponed indefinitely due to the ongoing pandemic okay, finally Across the Pond, we have an update on The Ocean at the End of the Lane. This production will now play the Duke of York's theater next year with previous beginning October 23rd, 2021 with an opening night set for November 4th. It's worth noting that UK theaters are a little more ahead of the game yeah. in US theater. Yeah,
1: they are. And, yes. It's very it's very stressful <laughs> to think about.
0: Yeah. Um. In terms of putting plans together. But Sleepless in Seattle opened on September first yeah. and from what I hear actors are socially distancing on stage and seating was reduced from twelve hundred to
1: 400 and this is
0: the biggest show that has opened
1: Since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be really, especially that. It'll be really interesting to see what happens there. As you said, they're a little bit further ahead of us in every possible way when it comes to theater at this point. Uh, so, I mean, we shall see. It's good to, you know, I have to, I, I can't be, completely pessimistic and i have to kind of be like there's good it's good that there's theater happening elsewhere even if it's not really here yet uh good good for the uk <laughs> good for the uk yeah that that's yeah, I good for so. the uk and hopefully because this is a national theater production the ocean at the end of the lane uh hopefully nt live will film it and we'll at least get to see it here
0: fingers crossed in other news, we have mentioned this before Ashley, but the arts and culture industry adds 877 billion dollars to the US economy and it's seeking only 5% of that back in relief funding from Congress. So, on Wednesday, the Costume Industry Coalition launched an emergency relief campaign and all donations received between now And September 25th will be matched dollar for dollar. And their goal is to raise $4.5 million. So there are over 50 costume shops in New York City alone employing hundreds of people. And just thinking about it, they're on the brink of permanent closure. Mm -hmm. And these shops and these art workers around the country need us to take action ASAP. But we'll include details on where to donate if you want to on the show notes. With in-person theater out of commission for the foreseeable future, it's no surprise that the arts are still seen as unessential and its members just as people who don't need help. According to The Observer... 60% Sixty percent of theaters in New York City will close by the end of the year if the city does not provide. <sighs> rent- yeah, really.
1: that's obviously tough news, and we've talked about that several times. We talked about uh, any small theaters, and we've seen we- we've seen some. We've seen theaters get smaller grants, and then we've seen larger theaters obviously get a bigger piece of that pie, which makes sense because it's a matter of, like, how many Mm -hmm. people they're employing and how much productions cost, how much rent costs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But always tough to hear things like this, especially – Looking at smaller theaters or any kind of small venues in New York City, and just like, what is going to what's it, what's going what's it going to take to get the help they need for one, <laughs> which I don't have the answer to that, which is absolutely horrifying. Oh, I know that. it's absolutely horrifying because if they are requiring some kind of aid mostly government aid chances are that they're not going to get it because look at the government <laughs> uh, yeah yes yeah, so, so you start looking at the theaters and you're wondering you know what it's going to take to get them out of this hole and then you look as you already mentioned with the costume industry coalition what they're gonna more parochially they're gonna need to get them back into work And
0: yeah, just to chime in, they're only asking for five. Right, it's
1: absolutely absurd. It's it's quite literally the bare minimum, and for a job, I mean, I I I obviously am biased there, and that I by default view artists and theater workers as essential because. I think they are essential, and also they are essential. Like that shouldn't be an argument. The fact that everyone is home consuming art throughout the pandemic should prove <laughs> that artists are essential. But then you start looking, you know, more parochially into the theater industry, and obviously the, the costume industry co- coalition is uh, essential within the theater industry. The fact that they're asking for such a small amount back, and even that is just too much it seems it's it's so insulting mm-hmm. like the shows do not run without the costume department exactly. and they're and- they're nowhere near what they would be without a dynamic costume department
0: yeah definitely and also not just broadway but tv oh, yeah. and also oh, cruise yeah. ships. so so it's a it's a pretty big industry yeah. but oh my gosh all, all, all i can say it's today has been a bummer with all with all these news (laughs) a reminder that we're in the middle of a pandemic so some days we're gonna have some more uplifting materials and today's just not one of those days
1: sometimes we have to end the news day on a bit of COVID stuff and that's just the way it is Mm -hmm. best to focus I guess on on the virtual seasons and good plays and musicals that are coming out Mm -hmm. if nothing else and also you know Lincoln Center getting newer Work. I'm gonna put my focus there, yeah. and then in in the very yep. back of my brain, in a cold sweat <laughs> in the middle of the night, I will remember also COVID.
0: <laughs> so, all this to say that it's time for feel good recommendations. Good, good.
1: love it
0: for the day. I want to start with one that came out on Wednesday on the New York Times by Salamishatilat. And her piece explains Camille A. Brown's integration of social dance into all of her performance and her new virtual dance school. Camille A. Brown, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a wonderful choreographer Best known for Once on This Island, Choir Boy, Jesus Christ Superstar on NBC, and also Ain't No Disco. If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah. So
1: and also the most recent for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough, which I. Oh okay. yeah. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to see on Broadway sometime eventually.
0: Fingers crossed.
1: So this goes to explain how she
0: integrates social dance into all of her performances, and she now has a virtual dance school, so to speak. She opened her Instagram to educate folks about the origins of social dances, which I didn't know a lot Mm -hmm. about, and the communities they thrive in. And also, fun fact... She is also hosting socially distanced classes for young
1: dancers. How young is young? Like, will I qualify as a Uh, (laughs) 28-year-old because I want it? (laughs)
0: No. I don't know. Judging on the photos... Provide it with the article i think you and i will not make
1: the oh shucks i a bridesmaid no
0: but we can but we can participate on the instagram i'll do that workshops. i'll do that
1: as I, yeah. I, I, you know it's probably best that no one sees me dance anyway so that's <laughs> that's just for the best especially someone as excellent as Camilo brown
0: yeah yeah and for from what I hear, those Instagram lives are super informative. So if you have some time this long weekend, get your dance on. Um, check out yeah, or just read this piece on the New York Times. There you go.
1: That'll be mine. I <laughs> people that have any amount of energy going into the weekend, go do the dancing. I will sit around and I'll read the article.
0: Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm more. Reader. Yes, yes. <laughs> and secondly, this is from NPR, it's called First Chinese Language Production of Racin in the Sun is Staged in Beijing. We From the headline, we know it's staged in Beijing, but as you read on, there are so many questions you have to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, this article merits a longer, more detailed discussions, yeah. but... It goes to ask on limitations that need to be placed if a production of Raisin in the Sun or Fences moves from the U.S. to Brazil, to China, and to Italy. Just to say, or if any actor, regardless of ethnicity, can play African American characters. Mm-hmm. So this just poses the the issue of blackface. Oh, yeah.
1: In these Definitely. productions. Uh, and not not only just that, which that's obviously a very big part of it, but they even talk about it in this piece, which is you're presenting an all-black play, specifically an African-American show, to a mostly Chinese audience with an all-Chinese cast and how you're going to do that. And as you said, you know, Chinese theater has historically used what Americans consider blackface. Yep which starts opening up in the ethical issue of things of course. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um I this is something that I have to
1: read mm. again
0: because I I I read it at least twice today in preparation for the mm. show, but I just have so many questions. This article just comes to show at one point that um actor and director Ying Da decides to bronze performers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's just not something I'm okay sure, with. Yeah.
1: It's difficult. Um, I I don't want to be like... uh, It's difficult because uh, this is... The history of theater has been different in different countries, and we view blackface differently in the US than they do in China, and I don't want to completely take that as the argument because I don't necessarily think that is something that should stand in 2020 anyway. Uh, Yeah, I Yeah, I I, I think... Chinese people are going to look at blackface differently in the U S that can be true as well as how we portray black people and specifically African-Americans in theater has to have an overhaul that sure. People want to do classical presentations of shows and do uh classical theater techniques, but just because something was a classic stylization or a classic method doesn't mean it should still exist in 2020.
0: Oh, yeah. I agree with you there. Thanks so much for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mirasgar 31 Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley. Don't forget to back us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash broadwayradio. And have a great Friday and Labor Day weekend. Stay safe, and we will talk to you next week.